Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hello, everybody out there. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. Today is a special day. Um, When I think about today's guest, which is often, I think of his thoughtfulness, curiosity, joy, his welcoming nature, and his beautiful heart. Lee Silverstein is joining us from his home in Florida. Lee is a natural helper of people. As a career management professional, he has been a consultant, mentor, and coach helping students, executives, and so many others land the jobs of their dreams or change careers. He is a public speaker and podcaster, and I first got to know him by listening to his We Have Cancer podcast, which we're going to get into today. Lee has been living for more than 12 years with stage four colorectal cancer. To put that in perspective, Less than 15% of people with his diagnosis live past five years. Lee became part of the Man Up to Cancer community and our Howling Place Facebook group soon after it launched in 2020, and since that time, he has become a beloved member. Guys look up to him for his openness, wisdom, and humor. He recently reached a point where treatment is no longer working. There are no interventions to stop the disease, and he has entered into hospice care. Today, we're going to talk about Lee's passions, his family, his transition to hospice, and the legacy he will leave for all of us. Lee, thanks for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure, Trevor. I love you, buddy, and I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. I love you too, so much, man. And me too. So I'm going to get started with a really, really tough question for you here, buddy. You got to prepare for this one. Your beloved hockey team, the Tampa Bay Lightning, is currently fifth in their division. So are they going to turn this thing around this year? (laughs) That is my hope, obviously. Um, uh, And I think this will be a good segue during some portion of our interview. I started hospice care officially on Monday. We're recording this two days later on a Wednesday. Yes. Tomorrow night... My sons and I, two of my sons, are going to a lightning game, which uh, my uh, my youngest is turning 33 shortly, and his older brother is turning 36 shortly. So I'm going to say it's probably been close to 20 years since the three of us have gone to a game together. Oh, uh, wow. So I'm excited. And then we have another game Saturday night, and we're taking our grandson. So here I am in hospice, and I'm going to go catch two lightning games this week. Effing fantastic. That is awesome, man. Um, How long has, let's go back a little bit and tell us, how how long has Florida uh, been home for you, and specifically the Tampa Bay area? Um, I grew up and moved around. Uh, Dad had various corporate jobs and was getting frequent promotions. So I was born in New York and lived in and around the Northeast. 
and he got an offer to get into the citrus business uh, in Miami. Okay. And, and this is kind of a cool story. I re remember him taking me out for ice cream to break the news that once again, we were moving. And I had this curious look on my face. I was 10, um, nine or 10 at the time. And when you live in the Northeast, I'm not sure if you see this as far up as where you are, Trevor. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of Chamber of Commerce marketing. Come to Florida for vacation. The oh, yeah. Con for a 10-year-old, the concept that people lived in Florida, like getting rid <laughs> I saw, you just went there to visit, right? So it took a while to tackle that one. But uh, summer of 1972, we moved to Miami. We were only there less than three years before we moved to Tampa. And I've been in and around the Tampa Bay area ever since. So you went to, to high school there and, and everything? Yes. Yeah. High school, the University of South Florida, Go Bulls, um, <laughs> everything. Yeah. And now just uh, orient us uh, to your family. You have a wife, children, grandchildren. T t tell us about them. Sure. So uh, Linda and I, uh, I like to call it, uh, we're given a second chance at love. We celebrated our 11th wedding anniversary on December 1st, 2023. Awesome. Between us, we have three sons and five grandsons. Um, and we don't do the, we don't use the word step, right? We say we yeah. have three sons, we have five grandsons. But just for clarification purposes in this interview, uh, her son is the oldest of our three, as are her two grandkids who are eight and 10 and she takes them and picks them up from school every day. And then they come to our house, do their homework before their mother picks them up. So I get to see the two oldest ones almost every day. Wonderful. Um, our next oldest is uh, here right now visiting us from his home in Denver. And uh, Andrew and his wife, Kelly uh, brought us our first granddaughter in uh, October of 2022, her name is Nora, and that Elliot, my youngest son, uh, lives about three, three and a half hours away, and he has a three-year-old uh, named Teddy and a one-year-old named, or 13-month-old, and her name is Lily. So we have Kip, Wynn, Nora, Teddy and Lily. And you um, folks are just going to listen to this on audio. So if you could see Lee's face right now, um, it's lighting up for sure. And this is a theme with him whenever he talks about family. So tell us a little bit more, Lee, about the importance of those relationships in your life. Yeah. You know, I don't take, first off, I don't take this for granted. I know there's, and I'm sure at least one person listening is going to nod their head especially when you blend two families together doesn't always go perfectly this one's mad at that one this one's not talking to that one and if i had written out my wishes for how this blending of two families would happen i think we hit about 99 percent of it oh my gosh so that's you know, amazing all the you know they don't see each other often but all three boys get along and the wives get along and 
Um, I'm the oldest of three siblings. I have two younger sisters who we are incredibly tight. Uh, my middle sister uh, lives in Norwalk, Connecticut. My youngest sister lives in Atlanta. So between my wife, sons and grandsons, and um, my siblings, we got it pretty good. Fantastic. And I'm going to circle on family later on. But right now I want to talk about um, how we got to know each other a little bit. So um, <clears throat> we became friends in early 2020. Man Up to Cancer was just an idea and a, and a small Facebook group. And then, and I think this might've come through Joe Bullock, not even sure, but you reached out to me. Um, and even four years ago, my brain's foggy, but you reached out to me and you asked me to come on your, we have cancer podcast. And at the time I was absolutely blown away. It was like, because I was listening to your shows and, and you were such an inspiration for me and, and your guests, such inspirations for me as I was adapting to living with stage four colon cancer. And when you reached out, um, I didn't even know where Man Up to Cancer was going. And I, I talked to my wife that night. I was like, Lee Silverstein wants me to be on his podcast. Um, like, I think maybe this idea might have some traction. Like, it was, the fr it was like validation very early on that I was onto something. And that was so cool. And I and I just have to say that you've played a, such an important role in the development of Man Up to Cancer from four years ago to now. And, and I just want to thank you personally for that. Uh, there's nothing uh, that I'm more grateful and thankful for is that the impact that I've had and have received in return from the Wolfpack, from the Man Up to Cancer community. So thankful. Um, tell us about the origins of the We Have Cancer podcast. How did that come to be? So back in... 20 we'll call we'll call it 2014 yep uh, a good friend of mine entrepreneur his specialty is putting on entrepreneurial focused events trainings education such like that uh we met and became very good friends a guy by the name of chris kermitzos and at the time, I was working at a local career college where I was the dean of outplacement services. And Chris called me and he said, I have a small group that I've started of entrepreneurs who are interested in podcasting. Do you have any spare classrooms at the college one night for us to hold a meeting? Oh, wow. And I'm like, sure. Yeah, come on over. So I'll say maybe 10 people came, a couple other people I knew. And I'm like, well, it'd be kind of rude of me to like unlock the door, turn the lights on and leave. <laughs> oh, let me sit up. Let me sit there, right? Uh, I knew what podcasts were. I think maybe I listened to one or two. I hadn't subscribed to anything. And I'm sitting in this meeting and I'm listening to all the things that people are talking about. And Chris's wife, Katie Kremitzos, um, at the time, she's totally shifted since at the time, she was doing a podcast for entrepreneurial women. She had started about six months prior. And I had what I like to call, Trevor, one of those 
light, <laughs> lightning bolt moment. And I'm sitting there. Like I said, my only intention was just to not be rude. And I'm sitting there going, wonder if I could do this. Do I do a podcast interviewing, calling cancer patients, survivors, things like that. The meeting was wrapping up and people were talking. I went up to Katie. Said, Katie, I have this idea. What if I did a podcast on colon cancer, interview patients, survivors, caregivers? She put a hand on each of my shoulders, looked me in the eye. Her exact words, Trevor, were, oh my God, you need yeah. to do it. You need to do <laughs> yeah. this. Yep. Took me about six weeks to get that thing learn i'm very i don't want to say tech savvy but i have no no fear of tech so it's like all right well you got to have a software program to record things lucky for me i was working at a design school so one of the programs we taught was uh, audio engineering so i was buddies with one of the uh, uh teachers and he came out one night and walked me through how to do it you know, Fantastic. I'm taking notes and I said, all right, I got it. Right. And six weeks later, the colon cancer podcast was launched. Right. Uh, and that was the original name. That was the original name. Yep. So I was, uh, each year there's a annual conference called pod fest. This one's coming up, uh, January 24th this month. And they're expecting about 1,500 people from around the world. Wow. I went to the first one that had 80, that had 80 people at a motel next to a strip club. <laughs> now it's at a resort hotel in Orlando. And how many episodes did you end up recording, including both uh, iterations? Uh, over 200. <sighs> Amazing. Yeah, so... I think the number was 188 in studio and then what uh then i went to several colon cancer colorectal cancer alliances uh conferences and would bring my equipment and would interview some of the speakers and things like that some of the attendees so we add those to into it yeah it's over 200 and and your advocacy obviously encompasses more than uh, the podcast, but it, it was a, a you know to me to someone looking from the outside on, on Lee, it was it was a big part of your identity and, and what you did and, and you know who you are. So, um, I want to. There's a couple. There's a quote that you wrote. It's on your bio. Um, living. I'm going to say it. Quote: Living with this dreadful disease for so many years has afforded me the privilege and responsibility to inspire, inform, and advocate for the millions of people living with or caring for someone with cancer, unquote. And I mean, obviously very moving, but the, the first word that stood out to me was privilege, right? That you have mm -hmm. the privilege of doing it. Tell me, tell us what you mean by that. Um, that's what I felt in my heart. Um, I considered it a privilege to be able to take my experiences and pass them along. Okay. Um, yep. So that's, that's where that came from. 
and then that other word responsibility right like those words play together because something's a privilege maybe maybe you think that it's not heavy but that's a that responsibility uh word that says that you took it seriously right that it wasn't just a whim for you this was something you took seriously to take your wisdom and and pass it on and 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 do something with it right a hundred percent yeah yeah how do you feel you uh did on that, uh, you know, if you were to look back at, at, at what you did, I mean, certainly I can make my commentary, but how do you feel about, um, the impact that you had? Um, I'm going to answer that question in kind of the form of two timetables. Uh, I remember getting a long email from a fellow colon cancer survivor who I did interview and it was fairly early on in the process. Uh, this guy's name was Nate Allen. And Nate sent me a long email, totally out of the world. And his, the gist of it, it's been quite a few years, so I got to pull this from memory. But he said how when he got diagnosed, he was sitting home alone decided he just couldn't live his life that way. So he wanted to start walking. He said walking was what was going to. And he said, I need to find something to keep me company when I'm walking. And I scrolled through my phone and I saw the We Have Cancer podcast. And that got me out of my seat and up and moving. And Nate said something, words to something. He said, I feel that because you helped me get up and move and move around, his words to me were, you saved my life. And I love you for that. And that was kind of the moment for me to realize that I think I'm starting to leave like a legacy. And there were many, many other uh, situations like that. And then when I posted a few days ago in the howling place that I was entering into hospice, but never mind how overwhelming the response was and emotional the response was from the rest of the pack. But the number of people, the number of men in the group who I don't know, have not met, right? who said things about finding the podcast, which led them to man up to cancer, etc., was once again, as I'm ending you know, the nearing the end of my life right? further showed once again, the legacy that is being left behind. Um, we did, we held our, our second annual men's cancer retreat, the gathering of wolves in September of this past year, 2023. And you, uh, you know, you've been going through health issues, right? And they've been increasingly difficult, but you made it to that damn retreat. Not only did you make it, but it seemed like you soaked up every minute of that damn weekend. Yeah. And I, 
you know, everybody saw me like they were in shock because <laughs> I think it was only three days before I, I got out of the hospital. That's right. And, and I kept hearing, you made it. We didn't think you were coming, you, you know? Um, uh, so, yeah. And I absolutely did. Did soak it up. Uh, it left a permanent impact on me. Wonderful. Positive, positive. And us. And us. I mean, our interactions there were something that I'll always hold dear. So thank you for making it, man. Sure. <laughs> so as a family, we have done some things. Uh, we've taken a trip to Hawaii. We took a trip to Europe, even when we had to beg, borrow, steal to, to do it. Um, and I've done some things individually because of the motivation from cancer and knowing that that clock is ticking. Uh, are there things that you have done that you may not have done without cancer being part of your life's equation? Linda and I, and I always told her it was my priority that, you know, we had been so fortunate to have such a loving and incredible relationship. And I'm going to go off on a tangent, but I will come back to the answer. When we uh, met, I was not a country music fan. And I'll admit, I will be the first to raise my hand and do the old, and eh, not listening to songs about beer, tequila, and pickup trucks, blah, blah, blah. And she played a, she played a Keith Urban song for me. We had just started dating. It's one of his older ones. It's called Making Memories of Us. And as soon as I heard that song, Trevor, I said, this song's going to get played at our wedding. And we were only dating at, our, at the time. And the song is Making Memories. And that's been the theme since that time to today is let's make memories. But when we did, I, I never felt like it was bucket list focused. I never thought, let's go do this because I have cancer and don't know if I get the chance to do it again. That it was, let's, let's just go do this, right? Without the, the other part, right? So whether it's concerts, uh, we've done, we've done a fair amount of, we had, uh, two trips to Mexico, um, New Orleans, friends in California, uh, before things got rough, um, New York City, before I had to go because of some guttering, <laughs> you know, some social visits there. We did, we did a lot of cool, cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I guess... I guess probably I would fall into that bucket list category, but it's impossible for me to know what I would have done without cancer because I've, I've had it. Right. So like, I don't know what my decision-making would look like because I've been living with cancer for six years and it's just sort of developed, but I share absolutely share that, that it is about making memories for sure. Um, and I would hope that I would have lived my life that way regardless, but I don't know. <laughs> um, let's talk about, a couple of popular culture narratives about cancer and about dying. There is a strong narrative that tells cancer patients, even when their disease has progressed to the point of death being near to 
keep treating, to keep seeking, to keep looking for that, that miraculous thing that's going to change the equation. Um, keep poisoning, keep burning, keep cutting. And the medical technology complex really encourages this because with their marketing, they sort of convince people that there's always a solution, right? That no matter how far the disease progresses, there's always something we can do about it, which I don't personally, I don't believe is true, but I, I want to get your take on how you've navigated that narrative. And I'm sure that's something you're familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I pride myself on, and I think you and I have this in common, Trevor, is I've been a very educated patient and that allowed me to have a very collaborative relationship with my oncologist. Our conversations were always, what about, what about this? What do you think? What do I think? Right? Kind of, kind of thing. But to answer your question, I think the best way to answer it is um, I was speaking to uh, Stacy Hurt. I think you know Stacy. Absolutely. Shout out to Stacy, rock star. And, absolutely. And she said something to me a few nights ago in such a way that it really resonated. She said, Lee, you didn't fail. The science community failed. Right? You did everything that you could have done, took advantage of every type of treatment that you could do, and you got to the end of the list. And it was the end of the list. <laughs> yep. So if there were eight more things that the science community had available to me, as long as the risk benefit uh, was it one where you're going to feel like death for three months so we can keep you alive for three months, uh, which that's never an option for me. Right. You know, hearing her say science failed me. You know, I don't totally agree with that because science is part of what kept me alive almost 13 years. Um, but science failed me in that I got to the end of the book and there were no more pages left. I think oftentimes what I hear from folks after a person, after a man passes away is sometimes that, that guy continues to to you know continues to treat even beyond the point where it's just adding to suffering to himself and his family because he thinks that's what his family wants him to do or that's what culture wants him to do and then the family meanwhile is is wishing that maybe he could just stop treatments and have time to you know be off treatment yeah. before his death so that um he has that time but they don't say it because they they don't want to interject on his thinking so it's like this communication around death and dying and when to stop treatment when you have cancer is so complex and fraught with all kinds of difficult conversations um but it sounds like you you had you know with the knowledge you have as an empowered patient and with your relationships with your oncologist you you had some foresight of getting to this moment hundred percent and 
making the decision, and I'll explain the backstory there. So let me just give the yeah, listeners some, some context. Yep. Um, I was in the hospital uh, up until two days before New Year's Eve. Spent New Year's Eve with some dear, dear friends. Wasn't feeling great. Felt great enough to look back and say, I had a great time, but I wasn't feeling great. And I quickly realized over New Year's weekend that I needed to go back to Moffitt's Urgent Care um, on Tuesday, because New Year's Day was Monday. Yeah. And part of me in my back back of my head said, you may not come back out. Right. And, you know, different tests, blah, blah, blah. And then ultimately was told there's nothing else that we're able to do for you. And it took, I didn't even need to think on it. I said, okay, this was on Friday. I said, first off, cancel the radiation treatments that you had planned for the lesions on my pancreas because it's the liver that's going to kill me. So why put myself through more torture? And I want to go home today and, and call hospice tomorrow. Now, let me segue off. I don't know if this is on your list to cover, but... You, segue all day long with me, Lee. <laughs> um, I probably did three or four interviews on my podcast covering hospice. And yep. one, one particular one stuck with me. Also a uh, former colorectal cancer patient, his name... Uh, Jeff Shuey. Everybody called him Shuey. And I interviewed Jeff. And we were talking. He said, yeah, you know, I have at-home hospice care. And I'm like, really? Didn't I just see a Facebook post of you fishing with your son? He goes, oh, yeah, we did that the day before yesterday. I'm like, interesting. And tomorrow he's playing 18, 18 holes and I'm going to ride the golf cart. He said, Lee, he said, the biggest message I could tell people about hospice, the biggest regret families have is they waited too long. Yeah. They That hospice is, oh, the person's sleeping all day. They can't manage their pain. It's time to call hospice. So Jeff wherever you up there are up in there, I listened to you. And the day after I got discharged, called hospice. And I had my first visit on Monday. The nurse came and said, what can I do for you? We had already done the intake, so I had an understanding of their services. And you know what she do, did for me on Monday? She changed, the, uh, changed my bandage where I have a Billy Rubin drain back. That's all I needed. I'm not today i'm not in any pain great uh she, she checked my vitals because i guess she's supposed to she changed my bandage and went along on her memory way and when she comes next week probably gonna be a repeat yep you know 
Yep. But I was not going to make that re- mistake of waiting to call hospice. Absolutely agreed. Thank you for sharing that. I, I want to cir- I do want to circle on that talk you had with Stacy. Um, and this gets into Stuart Scott territory here, but this is, you know, our culture uh, views everything as binary, right? You, you know, sure. can- cancer is a fight and you either win or you lose, but, but that doesn't, um, that doesn't leave room for like the complex realities of people living with cancer, especially for extended periods sometimes, which you have done. So, um, you know, and it suggests that when we die from cancer that we've failed or that we've done something wrong, which is incredibly offensive to me. Um, me too. Yeah. Tell me about your thoughts on that. Yeah. This whole battle language thing around diseases. Um, I'm just not a fan. Um, so I died. So I lost. <laughs> Who won? Right. Um, you know, people not knowing what to say. And there's a huge opportunity for voices like ours to get together to educate on what to say. And Linda Walter's book, Voices of Cancer, covers this in such a beautiful way. Um, you know, warrior, mm-hmm. you know, you need to keep up the fight. All, and, you know, and I'm a huge sports fan. So a lot of this is sports language too um but i'm just not a fan yeah and what was the quote i think Stuart scott said you know you don't lose to cancer you win by the way you live your life yes perfect you know death is just it's a natural part of existence for all human beings i hate to tell everyone out there but we're all going there um (laughs) but we live in this culture that really hides away from it really rejects it. it's almost like a bad thing like like somehow we have a choice um and i think when we don't discuss it we you know we aren't allowed to prepare for it or really build meaning into it so i wanted to ask you have you had a process personally to perhaps think about and clarify your thoughts and beliefs around death um well, what I can tell you is several months ago, I made a list of my wishes, right? This was well before the news we just got. And the reason why I did that is I have a uh, the father of a, um, one of my brother-in-laws passed away and had nothing prepared. And I saw the stress that it put on my brother-in-law trying to figure all this stuff out. Uh, And I said, that's the last thing I want is to be on the other side and have on top of grief, additional burdens. Um, The big one that I want to talk about is uh, I'm of the Jewish faith, but not practicing. Um, And, you know, that's a topic for another day, but I respect my faith. I do embrace many of the traditions and the Jewish faith when it comes to death is that 
they don't believe in cremation and that people should be buried in a plain pine box to uh, no um, no embalmment so that you can quit return to the earth as quickly as, as you can. And my wife is Christian. And she said, well, why don't you just get cremated? And initially I was like, it's not what I'm air quotes supposed to do. And over time I got to thinking, you know, none of my grandparents are alive. And I don't ever remember ever going to visit anybody's grave. And that's when it hit me. It was like, I don't want to be in a, under a patch of grass with a stone. Mm. And that's where I am. If I got cremated, people can have some sort of a vessel with my ashes in it. If they're not comfortable with that, and they want to spread them somewhere. I already figured out where I want them spread. Uh, and they just want to keep the vessel as a remembrance. There's still that remembrance that'll be with those people. As opposed to some weed covered grave that somebody has to make a journey to go visit. Right. So for me, that was the biggest decision. And I put that in writing like everything else. Um, so that's the kind of thoughts and preparations um, that I did. And, you know, I don't need to get into all the details or, or my sure. wishes were. But, um, but yes, I did give it some thought as to what I want and how I want to be celebrated, et cetera. Do you, you know, everyone's got their own belief system around what happens after death and, and, and if there's a soul and if there is anything after death, do you want to share at all about what your personal belief is? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Me neither. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The I'm mystery. Right? Leave it, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've not given it a lot of thought. Um, so we'll just leave it there. I'm mm. not sure. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not either Lee and I'm open to the mystery. Um, I've got a complex belief system that I'm definitely not getting into today, but I respect that man. And, yeah. and I, and I guess like for a lot of people, um, listening to this, they're at various points in their cancer journey. Some of them are advanced, you know, some of them are going to be dying sooner rather than later. And I'm just wondering like how you've managed thoughts around death and dying over this whole period, right? Because sometimes I've been going through this for six years and, and sometimes, you know, I don't think about it a lot, but I'll sometimes have a night where I'm just laying there and all of a sudden, like my stomach will go up into my throat and I'll be thinking, oh my gosh, like, um, I'm afraid or, or I don't know, you know, for lots of different reasons, but, but it's scary sometimes. And that's it just for, for me. And I'm just wondering, like, when we think about, you know, there's this saying, don't let the fear of death get in the way of the living or of living. Right. Well, that's easy to say for people who aren't facing, you know, metastatic cancer. Right. So, like, have you had fear? And and, or, and if not, if yes, then maybe talk about that. And if not, what emotions have you had when you think about this time coming? 
I have had fear. I will tell you right now, I'm, I'm at peace. Um, I'm at peace. And this being at peace goes back to the gathering of wolves. When you and I were sitting by the bonfire and we were talking about this very topic and that was the night of the effort fire <laughs> right and i stood up and and i said and i think i said i said because of a really in-depth conversation that i had with you a couple hours prior it was amazing yeah i have a whole lot less fear of death and that has continued to solidify itself over these last few months. I, I you know, love, I, yeah, I, 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 I hate the fact of, you know, the pain that those you're going to go through. Right. But when uh, Queen Elizabeth, when Prince Philip passed away, he passed away before she did. Her quote was so spot on. And she said, grief is the price we pay for love. And I was like, boom. Oh. Boom. Yep. Think about when you lose a pet. If you didn't give a crap about the pet, you wouldn't be sitting there hysterical crying. Why are you crying? Because you loved your shout out to Michael real, your cat, yeah. even though, you know, even though I'm a dog guy, uh, <laughs> but grief is the price you pay for love. So I need to not think about, Oh, I don't want people to be all, all upset. Yep. They're going to be really upset because of how much they have loved me. It's spot on, and that's perfectly said. And knowing you, I'm sure that, like you, like you said a, a little bit ago, like you're focused on the people around you. Like, how are your family members doing? How can you make things? Probably you're trying to make things as easy as possible for them because I see the peace that you're in right now. Um, what does that look like? And are you talking to them about this process and, and what your wishes are for them after you've gone? Yes. Yes. So... Uh, both of my sons have been up here for a couple of days and I sat them down and, and I'll, 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 I'll circle back and go back to the cremation thing. Yeah. And I, and I told them, I said, uh, my plan is to be cremated and I want my ashes to be in three vessels, one for my wife, Linda, and one each for my sons. And I said, if it's uncomfortable for you to have my ashes in your home, I respect that. So Elliot, you live on the Atlantic Ocean. If that's how you feel, put my ashes in the Atlantic Ocean. Yep. If you're good either way, you say, no, I want to keep some of dad. I'll take a handful of the ashes and put it in the Atlantic like that's that's cool yep. andrew you you live in denver a city i fell in love with the first time i came out to visit you and your wife 
especially the concert venue Red Rocks. Mm. And same message to to you as your brother, but not the uh, not the Atlantic, but at Red Rocks. Beautiful. And then um, Linda is also going to be cremated. Uh, our son, our other son, will have her ashes. And our instructions to him is to mix our ashes together for that other third. Beautiful. I, so I think yeah, I think ahead. we thought this. I think we thought this through. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, so is there anything that we haven't covered today that you want to discuss specifically before we put you on the gauntlet of random questions? Cause just cause you're in hospice care, you're not getting out of this Lee. I'm putting you in there. Um, <laughs> but, but are, is there anything that you want to, to put out there, you know, circling on anything we've talked about or a new topic? I just want to emphasize that we're not statistics. There is not an oncologist in the world, I believe, who they looked at my case, looked at my mutations, and had I asked, I intentionally never did until most recently, how much time do I have? Not a single freaking one of them would have said I you'll make the almost 13 years, right? So I didn't ask the question until we started recycling through chemo regimens, and, sure. which I already knew was not a good thing. That's when I asked. And that was back in August. And shout out to one of the most amazing oncologists out there. And check out her podcast, by the way, from Memorial Sloan Kettering. Uh, so I had the benefit of two world-renowned oncologists, uh, Dr. Jonathan Strasberg here at the Moffitt Cancer Center and Dr. Diane Reedy at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. Fantastic. Um, but not only did I uh, make it past what people would have told me I would have made it as, these have been the 13 best years of my life. Uh, if you were to like take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and on one side put great, and the other side put sucked. <laughs> Here's what's on the great list. Found love again, got engaged, got married, saw two sons graduate college, saw two sons fall in love, went to two sons' marriages, saw two sons, saw three sons become fathers, traveled to New Orleans, traveled to Puerto Vallarta, traveled to Oaxaca, uh, traveled to California, all kinds of other momentous family occasions. All right, now let's just let the, jump to the other side of the suck list. <laughs> the suck list. Got cancer. Which list is longer? 
There it is. There it is. Wonderful. You, you know, you inspire me so much and you know that I've been in the shit for a lot of the past six years. My girls were 12 and 10 when I was diagnosed and this coming summer, they're going to be 19 and 17 and every moment, every single moment matters. And I'm just, I'm, you bring, you give me and so many others hope, um, you know, and, and, and also this idea that we have like some master control over how long we're going to be able to go through this, right. is ridiculous. Um, and you know, so I'm, I, I can't say what my future is going to be, but you do give me hope that, um, you know, not only role modeling for, for how I live my life now, but also just, just hope that I can just continue to do this and someday look back and be like, you know, more years have gone by. So, um, I just want to thank you also for, this is an open, honest conversation about death and dying and about living, but we don't have these type of open, honest conversations very much in our culture. And it's so crucial. It's so important. It's so helpful. It helps me understand my life and my eventual death. And I know that it's doing that for others who are listening to this. So I just want to say before we get to the gauntlet, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for your generosity, your energy being here today, talking about the reality, right? Like, and that's why I, that's the reason I started man up to cancer is to have find role models like you who aren't just going to freaking you know, it's complex. It's shades of grays and aren't just going to put a face on this. That just isn't real. You know, you yeah. are as real as it gets. And this conversation is as fucking real as it gets, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and I got to tell you, you know, um, um, three days, four days into this hospice thing, you and I have been talking for over an hour and, uh, and it's been awesome. You know, it's been it's the highlight of my day. For me too, man. Absolutely. But I am putting you on the gauntlet of random questions, but I have a special Tampa Bay themed gauntlet for Lee today. So <laughs> I have I have three diabolical questions about Tampa Bay. Diabolical that, yes, that we're gonna we're gonna have to get the the first one. Yeah, he's ready. All right. The first one is really gonna put him on the spot because there's probably like five hundred. Best restaurant in Tampa Bay. You can only choose one. Burns Steakhouse. Did you see how easy that was for him? Like, it wasn't even a question. Burns Steakhouse. <laughs> so, B-E-R-N-S. It's a Tampa institution. It's few Google. Some of the listeners to Google. Yeah. Top 10, top 10 steakhouses in the U.S. It's probably on every one of those lists. Um. You so know, you're going to hit that you, up again, right? Uh, yeah, my uh, How's your, yeah, yeah, not doing great with uh, steaks, but luckily I did have uh, with uh, two of our dearest, dearest friends. We did a New Year's Eve dinner there in 2022. Boom. The first time I went to Burn Steakout was to celebrate my hockey, high school graduation. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. wow. They have a wine cellar in the restaurant, below the restaurant, with over 10,000 bottles of wine. When it's time for dessert, the server comes up and said, I've held the table upstairs in our dessert room for you. 
And then you go up there and everything made by hand, ice creams and torts and cakes and pastries. And then a damn after dinner dessert list. Cognacs were some of the pours of the cognacs, a pour over $500. Oh my gosh. So it's, ex- <laughs> I will tell you, Burns is expensive, but it's not overpriced. Love it. Burns, there you go. All right, second question of our Tampa themed gauntlet of random questions. So the Iron Gwazi roller coaster at Bush Gardens has a 91 degree drop and speeds up to 76 miles per hour. Did you ride it? I have not been to Bush Gardens in years. <laughs> have I any of your relatives it. ridden it? No, I am. I love roller coasters until you tell me some part of that roller coaster is going to put me upside down <laughs> and, I, and I'm tapping out. So you give me a traditional drop, lots of sharp turns, I'm in. As soon as you tell me there's three of these things that are going to spin me upside down, go find somebody else. Yeah, you've had enough upside down turns with your freaking yeah. cancer <laughs> journey. Um, all right, this one's going to be the hardest. Last one. I have two players that I'm going to name their names, and I'm also going to give you an option C. Best all-time Tampa Bay Lightning player, Steven Stamkos, Martin Saint-Louis, or a player that you will insert? Uh, All-time greatest Lightning player, hands down, is Martin Saint-Louis. Stammer has already started to past many of his records uh <laughs> steven is my wife's favorite player um we've got a family yeah, split on this one folks yeah, but uh martin Saint-Louis, oh uh, i was just yeah because he was five five eight if you were being generous uh and he, he could freaking <laughs> do it all how beautiful answer and how long have you been going to games and like uh how how many games do you think you've been to God, I couldn't even count. We've had season tickets for nine years now, so that's 200. I've probably been to over 300 games. What was your favorite lightning moment? Oh, this is this has a great cancer story to it. All right, we'll end on this one. So the fur the so when COVID hit, the Stanley Cup was done in the bubble. You know, no fans. Right. The next year, they modified the schedule from 82 to 56 games. And um, when it comes playoff hockey, you get your tickets before you know the schedule. Because that TV dictates all that. Right. And I had a, looking at the timing, I had a really strong suspicion that the game, the series clinching game, because it, this was game five and it really kind of looked like the Lightning were gonna take the Canadians in five. Sure enough, I had scheduled an infusion of full fury that morning. Oh, geez. And I'm like, what the heck am I gonna do? Because I live an hour from the arena. So I said, I got an idea. Let me rent a hotel room just for the afternoon. 
finish my infusion. I'll go back to the hotel, crash for a few hours. Genius. And then we'll go to the game. And we went to the game. Sure enough, they won the cup. <laughs> and I burst into tears. Thinking about it was tears of such gratitude, you know, yeah. to any sports fan listening. You know, how many people get to see their favorite team in person win that their championship, whatever their championship is, right? That's a thing, bucket list thing that many people don't get to do. So that I, is it, it was tears of joy, but it was also tears of gratitude that I made it that far and got to see a once-in-a-lifetime event that most people don't get to see. And so there's your answer. Game five, 2021, lightning one, lightning one, Canadian zero, lightning take the cup, four games to one. I think that's the way we're going to wrap it up today. Lee Silverstein, just a, a life well lived and a life that's continuing to be well lived uh, as you approach the, this transition. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast with me. I love you, buddy. It's been a pleasure. I love you too, Lee. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack Doors are always open.